0: Oh, damn, flim, dog. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Long View. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and it's training camp time. Finally, the days of speculation and talking about players that may end up being Memphis Grizzlies, but ultimately not. Those days are over for the time being because we're close to some regular season basketball. We're about three weeks away. And we got a special episode for y'all. But before I introduce my guest, let me tell you how you can get in touch with the show and with the blog. You can find the Long View, JBB Live, the Core 4 Podcast, 3&D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcasts on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. And that's on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBNGrizzlies. And for this special edition of The Long View, we have none other than our faithful leader over at GBB, the undertaker of Grizzlies Twitter, none other than Joe Molinax. Joe, how are you? It's been, it's been forever, dude.
1: It's been a while. Yeah, I, I live in a different place now since I think the last time I talked to you, I, I have a different job. My life completely turned upside down there for a few months. So thank goodness for you and Brandon Abraham and, and the other staffers over at GBB. I, I blink and an NBA season is upon us and it's time for me to to put on another one of my hats and, and get back to work. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's good to have that escape. You know, I, I'm a teacher and a football coach and it's been a rough 18 months or so for teachers, and this is literally my uh, my second football season in a calendar year, which I never thought I would ever do. So you know it's 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 been a it's been a year. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, but we've all had we've all had years and um, basketball discussion talking about the Grizzlies getting to do the work we get to do over at GBB. It, it's a welcome distraction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, Joe, I feel like if we did keep going with GBB live uh, well, for one, on top of your schedule, you might, you might've gone insane if we kept going with weekly, bi-weekly GBB lives, but also I think our, our listeners would have stopped tuning in because it would have turned into AEWWE live. Like our our passion for wrestling and the wild, crazy news in the wrestling world over like the past, like two months, I think we would have ended up talking about wrestling more than Grizzlies.
1: That's true. That's true. They've definitely AEW definitely has my attention as a wrestling fan. Now I'm a WWE lifer and truther, but you know, you, you bring in, you know, Danielson, you bring in punk, you bring in Cole. Those are literally three of my five or six favorites the last 20 years. So I'm going to be tuning in. They did a good job. If that's, if I was their target audience for what they've done this summer, mission accomplished.
0: Yeah, like I, I did what I never really do when it comes to wrestling. Like I like once Adam Cole became a free agent, I like searched his name on Twitter every day to see if I can find any news. I on my way over back to my house, I was listening to the Talk is Jericho podcast with Adam Cole. So I I've listened to three wrestling podcasts in the past week. It's it's really filled a, a good void uh, in the dead of the NBA offseason. But I don't want our listeners to tune out because we're talking about wrestling right now. Let, let's let talk about a young player who's expected to get a lot of opportunity this year. And it's, it's your guy, Desmond Bain. I know Joe, you've called the uh, the coaching staff, some cowards over the past uh, year and a half or Not so. Not
1: seriously though. Every once yeah. in a while, somebody takes me very seriously and I took calm down. Just calm down. It's okay, a
0: bit. let me let me rephrase. You have sarcastically called them yes. cowards. It's a bit because you want them to start Desmond Bain, and you know, in Monday's media day, uh, Taylor Jenkins said that someone who's they're excited about getting some opportunities this year is Desmond Bain, and Joe, I just need to hear how how you feel hearing that from coach Jenkins saying that Desmond Bain is somebody who's going to get a lot of opportunities this year.
1: I'm feeling pretty good about it, to be honest with you. I mean, I know you were a bit of a Grayson Allen fan, but you know, I always was a, a Desmond Bain guy. And I think that even beyond Bain, you know, De'Anthony Melton deserved more opportunity than I think he got uh, while Grayson Allen was here. So I believe in either of those guys to be honest with you, but obviously we're talking about Desmond Bain. And I think if Coach Jenkins is looking for a continuation of what Grayson did well as a shooter, especially, then Desmond Bain obviously is the clear choice. I know Melton shot 40%, but Desmond Bain is literally one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. I I think he makes a lot of sense in that role. And you go to a closing lineup where maybe it's an offense-defense switch between him and Melton there at the two-guard next to – next to jaw. I'm excited for Desmond because I think he genuinely has improved his game. And I think that he was given homework over the off season to work on his facilitation, to be able to handle the ball as a secondary creator off the dribble. And he through summer league clearly worked on that. And then obviously beyond that, as we get into preseason, we'll see more evidence of how he did on that front. But for me, I'm especially excited with Desmond to see how he takes on this new role because whether it's him or Melton starting, they're both going to have more consistent roles uh, on the, in the rotation, you know, and in, in theory, I guess it's possible that neither of them start. Uh, I, I would, I would not do that. Um, but I think, you know, Kyle at the three with Dylan at the two Jaron at the four and Steven Adams at five, you know, you can make, and I, th- I believe you did in your post this week over at GBB that's probably one of the three, that he'll go with. That's not what I would do, but I right. think that that's something that makes sense. Again, just because I wouldn't do it doesn't mean it's not right. Obviously, um, I think the three that you outlined are are the three most likely scenarios, and I would start Desmond Bain because of what he can do as a shooter. I think he's shown enough as a creator off the dribble to be that secondary facilitator if Kyle is not out there on the floor to begin games. And again, I think Kyle should be on the floor to end games. And you have Jaron at the five, Kyle at the four, Dylan at the three, Jaw at the one, and then you rotate between Bain and Melton uh, in terms of offense, defense. That's how I would do it. And I think closing games uh, is a little more important, especially this year, than perhaps starting. Because Stephen Adams will probably start. I'd be surprised if he gets more than 25 minutes a game. So it's really who fills in that time and crunch time when it's, when it's winning time and they're trying to, to pull out a victory. You know, I think Bain will be in that mix. And that's even if he got a starter, you know, Mm -hmm. that's more of a testament to where he is in the organization.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. It's something I outlined over at GBB just because of the comments that were said, you know, I was trying to like decode what was said in media day. And, you know, they're really wanting these developmental opportunities for guys like Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain. Um, it was pretty evident when the Grizzlies made those moves for Jonas Val- with Jonas Valanciunas and Grayson Allen that those are the two biggest beneficiaries there. And I, I mean, the way I outlined in the in my post over at GBB is, if you're wanting to give Desmond Bain more opportunities, but you're keeping him off the bench, what what's going to be the difference between last year and this year? I think if you're doing that, you're making a very drastic change off the bench. Like you would be limiting Tyus Jones's minutes so that you can feature Desmond Bain as more of a creator or you're making him just kind of like your de facto sixth man that I think D'Anthony Melton kind of took over last year. So I, I think starting makes sense, but also to just the, the, spacing Nirvana that you could achieve by putting Desmond Bain jaron jackson jr and dylan brooks next to john moran i mean those are three pretty solid catch and shoot guys that could allow john moran to just kind of weave his way do his damage inside the arc and if defenses collapse boom right there
1: i think what i'm most excited about with what you just said is the fact that I think logically it makes the most sense to start Desmond Bain mm-hmm. for a lot of the things you just said. I think D'Anthony Melton, the way that he plays, his Mister Do It All kind of persona, his style of play, the way that he meshes well with pretty much anybody he he aligns with, you know, he he makes sense as a sixth man. He might not be your Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson. Microwave score sixth man that a lot of teams like to prioritize, but he can do Prior. a lot of different things for you. He's malleable. He has a skill set that he can fit with pretty much anybody that they put in that rotation. So I, I really like Melton in that way coming off the bench. And I'm a big believer in Bain showing how he can be explosive offensively in that role because so many people are gonna have to key on Jaw. And so many people eventually will have to key on Jaron because Jaron's going to be the biggest beneficiary, as you mentioned a moment ago, with Jonas gone, a lot of those shots are going to go to Jaron. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with those two guys getting so much attention, Dylan Brooks in the Utah series, especially, but in the play-in too showed the capacity to be a third guy, maybe not on a championship contender, but on a playoff team. I mean, it's hard to say that Dylan Brooks is not a third guy on a playoff team because he, kind of was you know six Mm. months ago he was right so uh, I think that all these dudes are going to get attention and if Desmond Bain's just hanging out in the corner he he should get some decent looks on on a consistent basis and you know that that's going to be huge for him especially once they go to that closing lineup that I hypothesize will be it I'm hopeful it'll be it and it's Jaron at the five and Kyle at the four. Well, now you've got Kyle creating off the dribble. You've got jaw attacking the basket on cuts. You know who the hell you have to leave Bain or else you're going to be giving somebody open lanes to get to the basket pretty easily in terms of slashing. So right. I, I think the possibilities with Bain out there offensively are just so much or so uh, they're much more plentiful than they are. If Melton is the starter and then if Melton comes off the bench, he allows for you to do a lot of different things in terms of how you want the rotation to play out. There's a lot more flexibility. You can still get there with Melton starting. And again, if they decided to start Melton, I wouldn't necessarily be mad about it. Uh, But I I think that Bain just makes more sense in terms of what he brings to the table to maximize what you want jaw to be. And, you know, Kleiman made it pretty clear. He wants him to be an all-star.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, to be completely honest, I mean, Joe, you can disagree with me if you want. Like, with the depth that the Grizzlies have at the moment, and I said this in my piece, too, there aren't many lineup combinations out there that should really cause a lot of outcry, to be honest. I mean, you have the one with Jock, ja, Dylan, Kyle, Jaron, and Steven Adams. They, they've they gone with that template for the past couple seasons now. It wouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't cause an outcry. But, you know, if they wanted to start Desmond Bain or D'Anthony Melton or, hell, what if they wanted to go out there and try starting Brandon Carker, Xavier Tillman next to Jaron Jackson and then having Adams off the bench? There aren't a lot of options out there that would really cause a stir Realistic ones, obviously, like they're not going to go out there and start Santee Aldama or anything, but like there's not a lot of options out there that should really make anybody mad, but I think the one that makes the most sense while also potentially unlocking a different ceiling for the Grizzlies offense, which is something they need. They've been, though this has been this little next-gen, uh good pace, High assist numbers, all that, they're still like in the bottom half to bottom 10 in offensive efficiency. I know it's probably something they want to approve on. I think adding a guy with Desmond Baines' three-point prowess, both in terms of volume and accuracy, I think it's just something you gotta do. It's what it's what a lot of these high ceiling teams do to get to that ceiling is they They go for it with lineups like this. And I think with Desmond Bain, it's kind of clear-cut, in my opinion.
1: An underrated way that they could piss off the fan base is if they decide to start Zaire Williams. And I don't think they're going to do that, for the record. I think it's much more likely that he's outside of the rotation than him starting. Uh, Far more likely that that happens. But I think that would be, if you're going the route of development, you know, you start Mm -hmm. Jaren at the five, and you know Zaire at the four something crazy like that and again I can't stress enough, I'm not endorsing this uh I I think there is a a small lane where they could piss people off because Zaire's not ready you know even watching summer league he's not ready to be if this is truly a playoff contender which Zach Clement makes it sounds like they want to be then Zaire's not going to be in that mix but like I said I that that would not be in line with what they've done I think they have said multiple times that Williams is a project and they're okay with him being a project and right. he'll develop. Uh, and when he plays, he'll be ready at least in the eyes of the coaching staff. Uh, Bain just provides you so many more levels of depth, both literally and figuratively in terms of the offense and Melton, I think he could be that guy. And again, he shot 40% from three. So we talk about him like, yeah, he, he can't physically do it. I think he can. And, I just am a believer in the idea that Bain is one of the most valuable contracts in the NBA. You know, he was drafted at that 30th overall pick. Over the next three years, I think he makes something like six million dollars combined, something like maybe seven.
0: Yeah. You know, I, like I think
1: Jaron gets paid more, and Jaw make more this year than Bain does in the next three. So, I just think Bain's certainly going to be here the next three years. I'm not convinced Melton is, and that's a, again, that's not an insult against Melton. But Melton is on a good contract, and he's, what, 22 years old, something along mm-hmm. those lines. He's still young. And he's going to be a player that if they want to make some sort of trade in the next year, you know, a hypothetical Ben Simmons, which isn't going to happen. But, I mean, Melton would almost certainly be in that trade. You would imagine. He'd have to be, partly to make oh, yeah, money the, work.
0: The Sixers like, kind of have like draft Twitter a little bit. Like, it's like Sixers and Grizzlies. So, like, obviously they're to right. be Melton.
1: Right, exactly. Um, I just think that he has a lot of value, both outside the organization and in the organization. Mm. Whereas Bain, I mean, he just—he's almost untradeable. Like I would say, Bain is more untradeable than even like a Dylan Brooks at this stage. And maybe that's sacrilege because Dylan has really kind of built himself up. But that contract's just so valuable for what Bain brings to the table. It's so hard to find or at least apparently it's supposed to be hard to find that elite level of shooting, but 29 other teams passed on him. Right. And there he was at 30 and, and the Grizzlies were able to take advantage. So I, I think that's just really smart general manager work to be able to get him on that contract. And now you, you have a guy that should be your starting two for the next three years. And, and you can just build around him and not have to worry about oh man, Are we, we going to have to pay this guy? You know, how are we going to make it work? You know, if you move off of Melton's contract you're you're saving some cash. Uh, certainly more than if you had moved off of Baines. So I I don't know that that's in their thought process, especially this year. I think they're excited to have both of those guys in that mix. I think Melton or Bain, regardless of who starts, they're going to play at least 20 plus minutes and Mm -hmm. they're going to be probably that six man type of guy. I just think Bain makes a lot more sense as an elite role player while, or potentially an elite role player, while Melton does so much defensively, he does so much in terms of how he can slash his three-point shooting got so much better. I think he could be a microwave player off the bench, but not in the traditional way. He could be a microwave player in terms of the energy he brings and the way that he plays as a two-way guy. And it's just a different perspective on that microwave idea of what you want your sixth man to be. He does that better than I think Bain does.
0: Right. Because of that shot creation that he has. Like he – he, he's not exactly like you said. He's not a Lou Will. He's not a Lou, uh, Will Barton or anything. But he he did show the potential to be able to create off the dribble, especially from three. And, you know, uh, as you're looking to see, you know, there's really the thing with Melton is you should be seeing if he could be a guy that could be your backup point guard as well. Uh, when you crunch it down to playoff rotation minutes, can you throw D'Anthony Melton out there for four minutes at a time while you're giving John Moran a rest? That's what you're looking to see from Melton. I think the best opportunity for him to test that out is coming off the bench. But I want to kind of circle back to a point that you had mentioned because there's like tr- trades and stuff, and including or excluding uh, Desmond Bain in there. Because you know what? I want to say it. Like I'm you know me, Joe, I'm one of the founding fathers of Dylan Brooks Island. But what you said is not sacrilegious because like what you said about D'Anthony Melton with his contract, the same is with Dylan Brooks. I mean, think about this: Luke Kennard is making sixteen million dollars a year, while Dylan Brooks is making eleven. Like that's insane.
1: Like that's a great I, deal. The Grizzlies I, still do not have a bad contract on their roster,
0: right? And like when it, and if we're going to be completely honest, when it comes to getting those all-star caliber guys in a trade, it's either Jaron Jackson or fewer picks, or Dylan Brooks and more picks, and if I can kind of put two and two together with all the remarks and stuff that the front office says and the coaching staff says about Jaren Jackson, they're going to go with the Dylan Brooks and more pick stuff because of the excess and draft capital that they have. But, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. I'm sure we'll get into that at some point, but uh, I do want to ask you this and see where you are on this, because I think the 2020 draft class, They had it really rough, and I think they actually did very well, especially Dustin Bain, with the circumstances. They got drafted. Two weeks later, they were in training camp. Three weeks later, preseason, and a hair over a month later, regular season basketball. And now this offseason, they got their first summer league. They've had four months off, pretty much, from playoff basketball to regular season action. They actually have an NBA offseason, like what you you alluded to earlier. Desmond Bain has homework that he can actually work on over the offseason in summer league. When it comes to working on those areas of improvement and taking that next step as a player towards becoming a starting shooting guard, just how important is it going to be for him to have that normal-ish offseason after basically a non-existent NBA offseason before his rookie season?
1: Massively important. I I think it's almost as important as the offseason for Jaron was because he was fully healthy. I -hmm. think they're comparable. I think Jaron's is more vital
0: because,
1: you know, Desmond was still able to physically work on his game um, and not have to focus on rehab. But I think they're in the same realm. It's just an opportunity for him to do – things that taylor jenkins and the and the front office want him to do you know they want him to be more of a creator they want him to be more sound off the dribble i'm sure they want him to prioritize defense and because that is an area where melton has an advantage in terms of being a better defender than bane so bane has to show that his offensive skill is not going to be negated by his defensive issues you know the only player they have the ability to kind of weather that with his job you know, and I'm, I'm writing Jaws preview as we speak, and I think that'll be live over on the blog on Thursday. And one of the things Jaw needs to get better at is being a defender, you know, at least being a net neutral defender. So his offensive worth can be maximized. But if that doesn't happen, and Jaw remembers a negative def- or remains a negative defender, they can't afford to have both of their backboard players be that. So Bain has to be a net neutral. If he isn't, then Memphis is going to bleed out points, even though they're scoring a lot, you know, it'll be like the, the John wall, Washington wizards with uh, Bradley Beal, you right. know, you're, you're scoring some points, but you're also going to get ripped apart defensively. So I think that they need Bane to show what he's capable of as a defender, as well as a creator off the dribble so that he can maintain that role. Because if they're going to go with a look where it's Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton being those two main bench players, Um, You know, you have maybe Clark or Tillman going back to your reference of what a playoff uh, rotation would look like, you know, if it's Clark or Tillman as your big Anderson as your forward and Melton as your guard, and you know you got the other five from there, you, you need Bain to show that he can do a variety of things so that that rotation can be a reality. And you know, that starts with the regular season, of course. It starts a training camp even before that. And it it really is important for him to display that early so that he can gain camp confidence, not just from the coaching staff, but from the guys that'll be running with as well.
0: Yeah. And you bring up great points. And you know. Joe, it comes—it comes as a giant surprise, but you know, Desmond Bain had like legitimate critics about his rookie season, even though he was the 30th pick, was second team All NBA.
1: Yeah, pretty that makes outrageous.
0: Sense. I know, pretty outrageous. But no, but you bring up good points because of what you need in the starting lineup. You know, Desmond Bain needs to make those strides as a defender, and he needs to have that ability to be a secondary playmaker. Instead of just like, I, I don't know the correct term for it, but like the third guy and tertiary. Place, airy, yeah.
1: Tertiary.
0: Yeah. I didn't want to botch it. I didn't want to be like, <laughs> guy. I didn't want to be like one of those guys that's like, trying to sound smart and stuff like that. But no, like you need to see if Dustin Bank could be a secondary playmaker. And that was what he was very highly touted, touted for outside of uh, TCU, besides three point shooting. Like I, I remember. I think it was Kevin O'Connor saying that he was the best non-point guard playmaker in the class of 2020. And there are plenty of other people in draft Twitter that thought that, you know, Richard Stammen was one of them. And I, I think it's something he's going to have to show this year. And I think with this offseason, season, especially the fact, I was frustrated a little bit that they didn't bring a point guard down in summer league, but Hey, if it means that Desmond Bain's taking that leap as a playmaker, if Xavier Tillman's taking that leap, John Conchar, it's all good. I'll take it because at the end of the day it's just summer league. But I- I'll end the Des and Bain talk with a little spice. If that's if that's mm. are you good?
1: I I like spice. I a little enjoy bit, just a
0: little bit of spice. You know, it's always been with the untouchables, Ja Jaron, and people threw in Clark. I think that's kind of changed a little bit because he was in the Warriors talks and stuff. And you can really throw in anyone at third, but do you think Desmond Bain's the third guy? If you were to make a a rankings of untouchable, is it John, Jaron, and then Desmond Bain?
1: I think so. I I think it is. And like I said earlier, I think it has more to do with his contract than anything. You know, you you obviously have, like Kyle Anderson is a better basketball player right now. I think you can make an argument that Dylan Brooks is a better basketball player right now. Uh, You know, uh, Bain's probably the fifth or sixth best guy, you know, maybe even a little lower than that, depending on how you, va- how you value Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. Uh, but I, I think that because of the v- contract, the fact that it is a three year contract that is the 30th pick value, there's just so much importance for what Memphis, because they're going to have to start paying Jaron. If they're going to sign Jaron, he's making at least $20 million a year, if not more, right. coming up. And then the year after that, it's Jaw. And if Jaw gets All NBA, and he gets into the supermax territory, I mean, you're talking about 35 million dollars a year for Jaw potentially, and everything has to go right for that to happen, but it's possible. So that's 55 million between two guys. Like you have to start thinking that way. And mm-hmm. by the time you're paying both Jaron and Jaw, Bain will be in the fourth year of his contract, and he'll still be making you know like three million dollars a year. So when you're building a roster and you're starting to think about flipping that switch from a rebuild to a contender, which I think in the next 12 months is going to happen. Um, As you start doing that, whether it's by trade or just by increasing expectations, Matt Harlicka had a great piece about using cap space uh, over at his Patreon on Wednesday that I really enjoyed talking about, possibly signing some free agents into that cap space. Um, You know, they have a lot of options, but that switch is going to get flipped and they're going to start expecting to do what the core four did in terms of being a competitive top 10 team in the in the NBA as that approaches to have a guy that is a very good role player making three million dollars a year that's going to mean a lot so I would say he's third on that list now I think he's taken that Brandon Clark spot maybe I'm too high on Desmond Bain but you know I think he's kind of earned it at this point
0: yeah I mean because of what they did with Desmond Bain and Summer League what they said about him and uh media day here recently and you know, if you – I don't know if you do this, Joe. I know a lot of people that do this, they try to base the jersey colors and, like, who's wearing these jerseys in the training camp videos to get a guess at the starting lineup. Desmond Payne's wearing the starter color a lot in their posts. So, like, it it could be a reality, Joe. It could be a reality. They finally start Desmond Payne. Your bit will be no more. Because I was about to say,
1: what am I going to do now? Like, do I just throw everybody off and say, start dancing and melting, you cowards? Like, what do I –
0: I think you should really throw everybody off and say, start Zaire
1: Williams, you cowards. Oh my God. They would suspend my Twitter account. They, I, they like would, that. they would, I would get reported by so many people. They would be very upset with me.
0: Yeah. Or, or you could just go back to your love and affinity for Brandon Clark. Join me on that Island.
1: Um, I, I've never left that Island. I think he's, I think he's due for a bounce back year. I think he's pretty solid.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, Joe, I'm going to wrap this up with you with this. I wrote something about this on Grizzly Bear Blues last week about secondary storylines because, you know... It was
1: very good, by the way.
0: I appreciate that. I really do. And um, because, you know, I don't know about you, but I like looking at that secondary stuff and looking at role players and seeing the cool stuff that they do because everybody wants to talk about John Morant. Everybody wants to talk about Jaron Jackson. Like, there's... 16 guys 15 guys on the team alongside them like let's talk about them too so when it comes to secondary storylines this year so take away jaws all-star campaign Jaren's extension and bounce back and how they utilize Zaire williams take all take those three out what storyline are you going to monitor the most over the course of the season it could be something on the court, it could be something off, but what are you looking for the most this season?
1: I'm going with two. I'm going to do a twofer if that's okay, and that's I know okay. I can talk a lot, so I'm going to condense my, my twofer. Uh, my first one would be Steven Adams. I think Steven Adams having a bounce back year, he was trashed so consistently in New Orleans, but I think we underestimate how much of a a dumpster fire franchise they are. And I know there's going to be Pelicans fans that will find this somehow and they'll completely obliterate me on social media, but I I just don't respect them as an organization. You know, I I just don't uh, in terms of the way that they're building that thing, the way they let Zion just kind of run the show there. Um, You know, I, I think that they got better for the regular season. Like I think they'll be in the play in this year, but at the same time, like, if they're going to sign Jonas Valanciunas to an extension, if they expect him to become some three point juggernaut, you know, they're going to be disappointed. And I just don't think that they know what they got themselves into. And with Steven Adams, I think he's going to be motivated to play the way that he is capable of in terms of being a lot of the stuff that Jonas was good at, plus being better as a defensive player. And you're replacing Jonas in the aggregate offensively with more Jaron lot looks more Desmond Bain looks, even more John Morant shots. So I I think that that's not going to be as bad as people make it out to be. Um, I think New Orleans got better because Jonas is a superior player, but I don't think that Memphis got that much worse because of it. And then my second storyline would actually be your boy, and I know it's Brandon Abraham's boy, John Conchar. Uh, We kind of forget about him, to be honest with you. We don't really talk about him very much. All he does is when he goes in, he contributes. Man, like he—he's one of the best rebounding wings in the NBA. He can make the three. He's shown he's not terrible creating off the dribble. I, I think there's you know eleven or twelve guys better than him. But if you know, like Zaire Williams is a good example. If he really falls behind in his development, I wouldn't be surprised if Williams is sitting on the bench and Johnny Johnny uh, Johnny Conchard is getting some run and they're getting jitty out there. Johnny basketball. Uh, well, the, well, well, the tenth overall pick in the twenty twenty one NBA draft is is on the bench, and that's going to make some people upset. It's not going to make me upset because, again, I, I give the front office credit in terms of saying, "Hey, give us some patience with this guy." Like I don't think they expect much of him this year, but you know, I, I kind of want to make a bold prediction that Conchar will be higher up in the rotation mix than Williams at first, um, because he all he does is what the team needs him to do. And I know Taylor Jenkins values that. So those would be my two. I think Steven Adams is going to be better than people give him credit for. And I think John Conchar is going to randomly pop up at some point in the season and remind folks that he's a pretty good value contract, too.
0: I don't have a dump button or anything, but holy shit, you threw a curveball at me. Like, dang. <laughs> okay. All right. So that talk now, about us. Now, that now you're like that's a wow! That's a secondary storyline if I've ever seen one, man. All John right, Conchor, I mean, I'm down you thought for
1: I some... Might have even said Sam Merrill. I'm going. I'm getting jitty with you on this podcast this this week,
0: dude. You're you're going with Johnny Basketball over here. I I Johnny Basketball. It. I dig it. All right. Uh, cool. yeah, I think you know I wrote on mine. Obviously, I wrote on who else takes a step, and I think I've chronicled that on the long view. Over the past several weeks with different players, whether it's uh, Brandon Clark, Anthony Melton on this show right here about Desmond Bain. Um, I've also talked about the utilization of Jarrett Culver, if it's going to be more of a Josh Jackson situation or if he can find his way into the rotation or if they even opt into his uh, team option that could affect his free agent status either next offseason or the next but I want to go with the management of the expiring contracts of Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones, because I think there's like a misconception out there a little bit, just a little bit that you have to get value out of expiring contracts. And I think that's true, but people think that you only do that through a trade, like Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones, they help you win basketball games. That's value right there. And if you have to, if you keep them throughout the entire, entirety of the season, they help you in whatever postseason basketball you play, whether in the play-in or the playoffs, and they just get outpriced in the offseason, like, it happens. like it's, It happens every year in basketball with all these great teams. I mean, hell, the Denver Nuggets did the same thing with Jeremy Grant. Like He was a contributor for them, helped them in the Western Conference Finals. And somebody threw a bigger bag with a bigger opportunity. It just happens. It's, it's the business. So I'm really interested to see because, you know, those two guys are thrown out as trade candidates because of their contracts, because of their skill levels and stuff. But I won't necessarily mark it as a big L or anything if they keep them through the trade deadline because they add value in helping you win basketball games. So I'm interested to see because it's one of those they get traded are they kept? Do they move down the pecking order in favor of the guys like Desmond Bain or Brandon Clark or Anthony Milton? I'm be really interested to see how that plays out.
1: I don't see those two guys getting traded unless Memphis underachieves and it's the trade deadline and they can send them to a contender that can give them, you know, some resources. I think that's how they get traded. Unless, you know, and we talked about the unlikely Ben Simmons scenario earlier if for some reason philly valued getting off of as much money as possible and they you know wanted to get anderson and tyus and insert cap filler here and you know multiple firsts for simmons um that then that maybe they make that trade a little bit earlier but i'm with you i I think that they're going to be around a while they value them obviously the way that they play the game is important to them and if things go south and it's the trade deadline in February, and you're looking at a roster that's not going to make the playoffs, you might as well send Kyle Anderson to one of the LA teams or to Brooklyn or to a squad like that, Miami. You know, obviously, none of those teams really have resources. Um, but, you know, Denver, maybe. You know, Denver's an example. You know, uh, some sort of team that you could get a first round pick. And, and you know, obviously, Kyle would make that squad better. And, and you're getting another uh, piece for your, your draft capital, uh, tool chest. So uh, I am thinking that if there is going to be a deal, the most likely scenarios, it would be at, around the trade deadline, but I'm with you. If they're at the seven or eight seed mix, you know, within a spot or two of those positions, they'll, they'll just keep them and, and do the best they can and see what the market looks like for those guys as they enter free agency.
0: Right. And we've seen that they're, they're willing to do sign and trades and stuff. I mean, they did with go on, right? They got two seconds out of him. And fun fact, Justin didn't mention it in the trade, trade tree, but one of the draft rights in that trade is now all elite. He is an all elite wrestler.
1: <laughs> that's true and that brings us back full circle to uh to our our conversation here i've, yes. really, gotten,
0: I've really gotten better at this like look at all that i taught yeah.
1: yeah you're a professional now look at you i'm such a proud gbb papa good thank job you. Parker.
0: thank you joe so that's about <laughs> all the time we have for this segment when uh when joe logs off we'll have a little mailbag discussion here but Do you have anything else to kind of wrap up your thoughts here before we uh, sign off?
1: You know, just I hope folks keep sticking with GBB. You know, I meant what I said earlier. You and Brandon and and all the others have been remarkable uh, this offseason in terms of, you know, I was easily less available than I've ever been. And, you know, GBB didn't really miss a beat, and that's because of you guys. So I'm grateful for that, and that will continue to be appreciated as my football season, you know, ends in the next month or two. And, you know, I'm able to get fully back into the basketball swing, but you know, that's what makes grizzly bear blues. Great. Is it was never really about me. It's about the team that we were able to put together and the staff. And I'd say we're pretty strong, stronger than ever, and, and excited for another season of coverage here. So thank you for all you do Parker. And I'm excited to be doing another season here with you.
0: Same here, Joe, we're, we're coming up in on uh, season four, season four of uh of uh, me being on GBB, it's you're like eighth, ninth, tenth. What what year is it? not
1: counting the year. I lost count. I, I, I can't. I'm the, the undertaker now, I think. Um, you're the um, undertaker yeah, I think this
0: of, is a Grizz blogging. So
1: I am. I'm more I, I probably like, should have quit a long time ago. I'm, but more like, I'm still uh, here.
0: I'm more like the Adam Cole or the, the Seth Rollins. of.
1: I think Seth Rollins is a good comp for you. Yeah, um, I think Seth it. Rollins is pretty solid.
0: I, I'll take that one. But you know what? Thank you, Joe, for coming on my show, doing a little role reversal for once. That's right. And uh, make sure you're following along on everything Joe has to say about the Grizzlies. You may want to throw your phone sometimes. The best <laughs> trading a veteran starter, even though he's hoping you win basketball games, but all in all, he's one of the smartest minds on Grizz Twitter. And you should really lean on him for coverage. Do that at Joel Molinax. And after the ad break, we will be back with a little quick mailbag. All right. And now it's time for the mailbag. Thank you to those who participated in this mailbag by tweeting me some questions. I'm not going to do this all the time, but you know, the season's about to start. And I think it was just a really cool idea to do. So. Without further ado, let me go ahead and get started here with Mick Hensley. When do you think the all-in moment comes with the front office? And who are potential and realistic targets for this type trade? Levine, Siakam, Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Jimmy Grant, Zion, all fit the bill if things go sideways with their current teams. I would say if you're really going to look into like an all-in, In moment, you know, I don't want it to be one of those things where you're making that all in trade going from the nine seed or the eight seed. I think it's more effective when you're already flirting with that contention, you're in that like three, four seed, and that all in trade is something that's gonna make you one of the two to three best teams, maybe in your conference, but maybe even in the the league as a whole. And I, I think that's still about a couple years away. But, you know, if the time comes and you have the opportunity to trade for a Bradley Beal or a Zach Levine or any players of that caliber, you obviously go for it. like You really do. But it's really tough to gauge right now given the landscape of the league. The only player that's really publicly demanded a trade is Ben Simmons. And there's a lot of basketball reasons as to why they may, that may not fit. And why now may not be the time to make that trade, granted, would be welcome, but I don't think that's the all-in move that they're going to be looking for at this moment. I would definitely think, though, within the next like 12 to 24 months, you could see something go down because the Grizzlies have a lot of veterans on good contracts. They have guys on rookie deals that are going to be due for those second contracts, it's bound to happen at some point within the next 12 to 24 months. But the thing is, somebody's going to ask a trade first. I mean, nobody's just like willingly being like, hey, you, do you want Zach Levine? Like, do you want Bradley Beal? No, no one's doing that. So I say within the next 12 to 24 months, and I guess that the realistic target would be somebody like a Zach Levine, Bradley Beal. Uh, something ever goes sideways with any of the Celtic guys. Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown would be awesome, too. But I just really want to count on that right now. It's, it's just a lot of if statements with that. A lot of things would have to go sideways, like you mentioned in your tweet. So that's where I stand. Next 12 to 24 months, though, for sure. Um, next question. These next two actually come from at the buzzer, so I'll go with the first one first. Do you think John Morant's peak is going to be good enough to lead a team to a championship? And my answer is, sure. Like, you, you never know. You never know what can lead to a championship. Let's, let's be real. Winning a championship is hard. I mean, you saw for a while, you know, in the East, for about eight years, the Eastern Conference representative had LeBron James on their team. For about four years in a row, we had the same teams between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. We saw the Spurs make it a lot. It's very tough, but you know what? I think it's possible, you know, I think it's possible that at John Morant's peak, they it could lead to a championship. Uh, I very much believe in the infrastructure set here. Uh, it would take a lot, though. You're going to need Jaron Jackson Jr. to make that step to being a second guy or even, like, Similar to how Bosch and Love were in Miami and Cleveland as that third guy, that thir- that stretch big that uh, played off of the perimeter player. So it'd be John Morant. And then a guy, you'd have to go get a guy who could be either that 1A, 1B with John Morant or be the clear cut too. So I, I think it's good enough. It's going to come down to that previous question though of when they made that all-in move and just the landscape of the league when they made that all-in move. But I think it's possible for sure. And then at the buzzer also asked, what would you like to see the Grizzlies do with Steven Adams long-term? That's a very good question. Are you still young? I mean, even though he's the oldest player on the team, he's still 27, 28 years old. It would really just depend on his next contract. Obviously, if his market is what it is now at 17 million it's hard to justify because at the end of the day you're gonna want jaron jackson jr being the five in those closing moments and you shouldn't be signing players to that kind of money over 15 million dollars if you don't plan on having them in closing situations but if you know if he's a guy who you know you see the fit there and he just gels with the rest of the team and you just want him in that locker room as a veteran presence and that enforcer of sorts and he can come in for the mid-level or less, then yeah, keep him long-term. But we'll wait and see. I'm very excited to see what Steven Adams could bring to this team this season. We mentioned it in the segment with Joe. He's going to bring a lot of the stuff that Jonas Valanciunas does, but not necessarily scores much. But you know that uh, drop-off in scoring can kind of balance out with just his defensive mobility and just his ability to defend a little more versatile than balance units but that's Ross Sand. if the market's right sure but we'll wait and see all right next up we got edward mckinnon he asked about the ideal wing rotation hierarchy i would say a lot of it depends on where you have kyle anderson in the fold uh, if he's your three, starting or off the bench, I would say it's Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain are your one, two. Uh, however you want to start that is fine. I mean, if you want Desmond Bain off the bench for offensive 5 power, that's, that's okay, but also Taylor Jenkins has shown that he likes having a shooter in the backcourt to play off a job. That's the reason why Grayson Allen was the starting shooting guard for the majority of the year is because he was a guy who can – make defensives pay for playing off of him and playing the drive. And I think Desmond Bain fits that. So I would say Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton. And that that fifth spot in the wing rotation or hierarchy, it should go to Zaire Williams. If there's ever any sort of break into the rotation where a rotation guy is out for some certain reason, Zaire Williams should be the next man up, in my opinion. He's your 10th pick. And if you have developmental opportunities for him, why not give it to him? Granted, Zach Kleiman, Taylor Jenkins, they've both said that this is going to be a multi-year process. But he's going to need reps. He will need reps. So I would have him penciling it at 5th. And then I'll go John Conchar over Jarrett Culver to make that 6-7 John Conchar is a productive basketball player, and I know Culver has that allure of being the former six pick, but John Conchar comes from the same draft class, and he's arguably produced more than Jared Culver has up to this point. If He's the perfect emergency case player in the wing rotation. Grabs rebounds. He doesn't need the ball much to score. He can make the catch-and-shoot jump shot. He's going to play hard defense. He's going to get deflections. He plays Grizzlies basketball. He plays Taylor Jenkins basketball. And I, I, I just have John Conchar over Jarrett Culver for the time being until Jarrett Culver shows that he can kind of provide a little bit of that upside that people saw in him when, they, when the Timberwolves selected him with the sixth overall pick. So just a little recap. Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Kyle Anderson, De'Anthony Melton, Zaire Williams, John Conchar, and Jarrett Culver. That's how I see the wing hierarchy. All right, the last question here is from Chris Rose. This was a really good question that I got when I initially put out that I was going to be doing a meal bag for this episode in this little segment here. Could the Grizzlies be gearing up to trade high into the lottery next offseason rather than for an established elite player? And if so, which way too early draft target is the best fit slash makes the most sense. My opinion is it's going to depend on where the highest pick falls. The Grizzlies will have their own pick, the Lakers pick, and the Jazz pick. And with the Lakers and the Jazz, it's going to take an absolute catastrophe to have those picks being in the late lottery. Those picks are probably going to be in the late 20s. So it's going to depend on how high the Grizzlies end up picking. If they are outside the play-in and they're above it in the sixth seed or so, that pick's going to be in the late teens, high 20s. You know, if they're in the play-in, it's going to be between between 13 and 18 or 17. But, I mean, if it's a catastrophic season and they're in the lottery, that That kind of increases those odds there. Um, I could see them using some sort of combination where they'll be like, "All right, let's trade two of these picks and trade up into let's say that nine to twelve range that I could see them doing that. It kind of just what I alluded to in the first question just kind of depends on the landscape of the blockbuster trades. Uh, is there a disgruntled star that has asked out and you see a picture-perfect fit and the time is now to make a trade? Then they're going to 10 out of 10 times trade for the established elite player. But, you know, if they trade up, that that would be pretty interesting to see who they end up targeting. Uh, some of the guys that I like that kind of fit uh, this big shooting wing mold that can score at three levels... You know, I like Caleb Houston from Michigan, uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr., uh, A.J. Griffith out of Duke, and then uh, there's a player in the NBL, and I really don't want to uh, butcher his name here. I think it's Osman Jang. He's from France, uh, he's, uh, playing in the NBL this year, uh, Chad Ford uh, Draft analyst has him as a potential breakout guy in this class. Uh, I like Dyson Daniels a lot, too. I think he's playing with the G League Ignite night this year. That's someone I'm going to be watching. But the player to really watch in any sort of trade-up or even if they're in this range is Jaden Ivey. Uh, that last name does sound familiar. His mother, uh, Neal Ivey, uh, was an assistant under Taylor Jenkins in his first season in Memphis. She is now the head coach for the Notre Dame women's basketball team. Uh, Jaden Ivey, he's a electric combo guard scorer out of Purdue. Uh, he had a fantastic showing with the USA U19 league over in FIBA, and I'm just really impressed with his uh, three level scoring abilities, his ability to just take over the game and score off the dribble. It's something that they very much need next to John Morant, or even you know everybody wanted this like Jordan Clarkson kind of mold scorer off the bench, this little Lou Will kind of kind of guy i think ivy can provide that but also i think the biggest thing too here is the grizzlies very much prioritize culture when making these picks i mean we've seen that with outside like john jaron obviously but uh, brandon clark desmond Bain, xavier tillman uh, Zaire williams santi aldama uh, or even just the guys they bring in d melton tyus jones um jared culver Steven Adams they prioritize high character players and you know the Grizzlies have a very good understanding of who Jaden Ivey is as a person they obviously know who he is as a basketball player but they have a better understanding of who he is as a person and who his family is because of his mom being on staff here for a year she was loved here she she had developed a great relationship with the players and so if they do end up Trading up for a guy, let's say late lottery or so, I think, or even in the mid lottery, I think Jaden Ivey could be that guy, or they could be targeting a big wing, like I had mentioned there. You know, if if something broke loose and they found an opportunity, though, to trade up for Jaden Hardy or Chet Hogram or Paolo, uh, I think that would be pretty cool. But I want to, I wouldn't really bank on that. But I do, I don't think they're going to end up making. Three first-round selections in the 22, 22 draft when it's all said and done. But you know, that's about all the time I have. Thank you for sticking along with the mailbag. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Paka underscore Flocka. Make sure you are liking, subscribing, and downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network where you can find every single episode of GBB Live, the Core 4 podcast, the Longview podcast, 3&D podcast, and the Starting 5 podcast. Make sure you're reading all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com, following us on Twitter, at SBN Grizzlies. we are be ramping up the coverage now that Memphis Grizzlies basketball is almost back. So, grind forwards, Grizz Nation. This is a long view.